Hi, listeners. I'm Irene Barton, Executive Director of the Cobb Collaborative, and I welcome you to Mind Your Mind Speaks. This is a podcast series that brings together subject matter experts, community leaders, and local stakeholders to raise awareness, share resources, and inspire action through recorded conversations about the collaborative's focus areas. Today, we are delighted to welcome Susan Norris to our program. Susan is the founder of Rescuing Hope, Inc. and has been involved in the fight against sex trafficking since early 2010. Her passion is to enlighten the public about sex trafficking in America, educate potential victims and first responders, and empower advocates and survivors. After learning about the issue of human trafficking in early 2010, Susan began pursuing how could this happen in the United States? She talked with people involved in this atrocity at every level she could find, victims, law enforcement officers, and frontline organizations she met through writing her novel, Rescuing Hope. Written as fiction so students would read it, Rescuing Hope provides a real life glimpse into the world of sex trafficking. Susan is a sought after content expert, a member of the Georgia State Human Trafficking Task Force, a certified victims advocate, a NOVA victims advocate trainer, a post certified trainer, and was appointed to the Grace Commission by First Lady of Georgia, Marty Kemp. Susan holds a master's in education from the University of North Carolina at Greensboro. She's also a class certified speaker. Susan is the proud mother of two adult children, and she and her husband live in Atlanta. Susan, wow. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Anything to add to that very impressive resume? And Irene Barton's friend. Yeah, okay. <laughs> we'll have that. Thank you. <laughs> um, so impressive. So I have to tell you that several years ago, my book club read Rescuing Hope, and this was before I knew you, and it really opened my eyes. And then when I did that, um, you know, Six Degrees of Separation, that is the health and human services world in Metro Atlanta, right? I was like, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, I'm going to have the opportunity to meet Susan, so... Um, Well, Susan, thank you um, again for joining us on the show. So there is no doubt that you are passionate about this work, but it seems a little bit rare for somebody to maybe learn about something and then turn it into what you have. So how was it exactly? What moved you to end up founding an organization and writing a book. And I don't know if that is a sequential um, chain of events or, you know, they were happening at the same time. So could you elaborate on that? Sure. Um, I have a long background of youth ministry. I've worked with Young Life. I was um, on staff at a couple of churches prior to being married and then worked with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes when my kids were in middle school. and. It was during that time that I ended up spending a good bit of my week at the middle school. And on Fridays, when we would have our huddle meetings, we would have between 300 and 350 middle schoolers. Wow. So I hung out with the uh, prepubescent hormone enraged 11 to 14 year olds Mm -hmm. um, every single Friday. 
in a large group. I was with small groups through the week, working with leaders, training up leaders, Mm -hmm. and really teaching them how to lead their peers. And it was honestly the very last week of a four-year stint of doing that, that I heard about the statistic for the average entry age into the sex trade for girls is 12 to 14. And the mama heart in me was like, not on my watch. I've, I got to figure out how this works because I mean, this is America, you know, slavery was abolished in 1865. What the heck is going on? And so I really went after it as a quest to learn as a mom more than anything for my own children, but also feeling a connection to those 350 kids. Sure. So I met with uh, Mary Frances Bowley of Wellspring Living and, um, she proceeded to share a little bit of information at an event I went to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, okay, now I know I'll move on. And I, we traded business cards, uh, which mine was the little thing you print out at Staples and yes. perforate. <laughs> I mean, that's all I had. And um, I went home and I just kept waking up at 2.30 in the morning seeing just seas of faces of girls. And it wasn't strangers. It was the kids I'd spent four Mm -hmm. years with. And I thought, what would I do if it was one of them? Mm -hmm. What would I do if it was my child? Mm -hmm. So I I called her up. I said, I I need to talk with you. She said, why? I said, I need sleep. (laughs) And... (laughs) We, we had lunch and I said, where's your weak link? She said, what are you talking about? I said, I don't care if it's a family, a ministry, a business, whatever. There's one place that needs shoring up where there's mm-hmm. a weak link. Mm-hmm. So where is it in this? Because, you know, as I'm female, I'm a mother and I'm an educator. So we're fixers. So just tell me where the problem is. I'm going to fix it. <laughs> and um, she said, kids don't know that they're targeted right here. And I said, you mean in the U.S.? She goes, no, I mean in Cobb County where we're sitting right now. It, mm-hmm. it impacts every every demographic. Mm-hmm. And so I really spent some time processing this, praying through it. And I called her back. I said, I need to start talking to some people in this movement. Can you connect me? And she connected me to a detective who has since become one of my dearest friends. And he was the gatekeeper. He... um. I remember going to have an interview with him and I didn't know what I was doing. Um, And so what do they do on television? This was 2010. So people took um, a a voice recorder because our phones weren't doing that then. And so I took, I went and bought one of those and I had a legal pad and I'm sitting there waiting with my pen, ready Mm -hmm. to turn my recorder on, be this reporter, whatever. And he came in and he looked at me and he stopped. And I thought, oh my gosh, this man scares me. His, he had so many muscles, his neck almost didn't exist. <laughs> and he intentionally tried to look like a trafficker because he did undercover work. Oh, okay. So I'm sitting here going, did I get the right person? What am I doing? And so I asked him a question and he answered. And when I asked the second one, he's just picking up his phone, making phone calls. And I'm mm-hmm. thinking, this doesn't happen this way on television. I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. But what he was doing at the end of our interview, he had lined up four interviews with victims for me. Oh, okay. Or parents whose kids were missing. Mm-hmm. And so I sat with these people 
I would buy them a meal and sit Mm -hmm. with them and just say, just talk to me, teach me, educate me. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I really didn't even know what I was going to do. I just knew I needed to learn everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And then he called one day and he said, hey, Susan, I have a a pimp for you. And I said, hey, Jeff, I don't need a job, but thanks. (laughs) And he said no to interview for this book. And so I sat with a guy who trafficked for 33 years. Wow. And just picked his brain. And it was, he had had a life change, reformed. He was actually in the movement helping now. Um, But he was probably the thing that just really opened my eyes more to anything, just the the mindset and the mental control. And so Mm -hmm. then I started realizing I needed to dig in all facets of this. And I wrote Rescuing Hope. It released on New Year's Eve, 2012, so 13. And um, and I honestly thought that was my part in this fight. I thought Mm -hmm. that I had done something that was going to help. And I was, I was going to move on and figure out the next thing. Right. Okay. And then my phone started ringing and it was the victims that I had interviewed and Mm -hmm. they would say, Hey mama, I need diapers for my baby. Hey mama, I don't have any food. Can you help? Hey mama, I'm in jail. Can you put money on my books? And I remember thinking, what books are we talking about? I, I don't, I didn't even know how to take a collect call. I had to go put credit on my cell phone to take a collect call because Uh it had changed. I mean, who does collect calls anymore? Right. Exactly. So so I started with those young ladies and then they would bring their friends in and say, this lady has helped me. So Mm -hmm. for six years, I did this by myself. And when I needed something, I would go on social media and say, hey, everybody, I'm helping a young lady. I need two airline tickets to St. Louis, I need a hotel room for one night and I need a rental car to get her to a recovery program. Mm-hmm. And my friends would just give me their, their miles or they would book it and pay for it. And uh-huh. I mean, it was, it was crazy. People were just pouring. And then I started getting calls to speak as an expert. And I kept thinking, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert. I don't even know what I'm doing. <laughs> but what I learned was that I knew more than the average person just Mm -hmm. from what I had done that far. And so um, our caseload grew way past what I could handle. And we needed more funding than my 911 pitch on social media was getting. (laughs) (laughs) And so in 2015, we started the nonprofit Rescuing Hope. Okay. And it literally started with me and four college interns. Okay. And then and then a girlfriend who said, hey, I want to volunteer with you. And I'm, I was so used to sending volunteers to Out of Darkness or Wellspring. I'm like, yes. I don't even know what I would have you do. She goes, I'll just come stuff envelopes. <laughs> and she has been with me ever since. And she's okay. the one who plans all of our, I said, what do you like to do? She goes, oh, I love to have socials. I love to have parties. I, love, I said, okay, you plan the gala. I mean, that was my uh, interview process <laughs> for anything that we did. And we probably ran, I want to say three years, maybe a little longer before anyone got paid, Mm, anyone. Mm -hmm. And then it was, okay, who needs the money first? I mean, not a good business model, right? Who who needs to support? We had a girl who moved from Kansas City to work with us Mm -hmm. and she was living in someone's basement and would dog sit, child sit and um, house sit to pay mm-hmm. her bills and then come work for us for free. Yeah. And we were like, okay, we need to get her money first. Mm-hmm. So we, we went to the board and then finally 
we kind of got to where we had some momentum and thought, all right, we need to like really get a handle on business practices and all of this. So we started working on writing policies and procedures in a handbook. And, uh-huh. um, you know, now we've um, just in the last month and a half, we doubled our staff. Um, yes. We hired a new executive director who is handling all things business, because clearly that's not my expertise. Um, and I can focus on the training and the educating mm-hmm. and um, kind of getting the message out and and training, not just anyone, but first responders. We've built phenomenal relationships with law enforcement and medical personnel and with educators and school systems. And so mm-hmm. it's been really exciting to watch things start to really grow and take off. Definitely. So going back to your original meeting with the lady from Wellspring, you you have raised awareness and educated the public um, and various sectors of the public, first responders, parents and families, educators, et cetera. But you are also, because of that work, ended up in doing direct services or wraparound services yes. for your... So, yes. um, Yes. So now you are delighted that you have someone to handle the policies and the procedures and the um, all of that, which frees you up to continue your first love, which is educating, increasing awareness and advocating for for the victims. Um, yeah, so that you- and really just delve- developing programs for those that we serve because we serve okay. survivors that are either emancipated youth or they're 18 and up. And um, we do it really in a very niche kind of way. And Mm -hmm. I'm really big about not trying to reinvent the wheel. Mm -hmm. So I really sat and looked at every organization out there and how they were fighting trafficking. And you have you know, out of darkness, that's now frontline response and they do the hotline and they go rescue adults because Mm -hmm. minors have to be picked up by law enforcement Mm -hmm. Um, and they have a safe house and then they help get them into long-term residential. And then I looked at Wellspring Living, they've got long-term residential for girls, but also for women. Mm -hmm. So they're doing that for Sarah is doing strip club ministry. So I really started looking and I thought, but what about the people who won't go into residential? Yes. What do they do? How do they get help? And so Mm -hmm. that's really kind of the model that we developed for our empowerment piece. Okay. We meet with a a survivor one-on-one and we never ask them to tell us, tell us how you were trafficked because Mm -hmm. that requires a great level of trust and and we're strangers to them. At that Um, point, and, and, you know, we know we won't get the truth anyway. One young lady told me once that her boyfriend was on a business trip uh-huh. for work and, and he was in jail for life for murder. So yeah, that's oh. a business trip. So yeah. it was a year later that she divulged what was really going on because we had built trust. So we just ask him, tell us something about yourself, mm-hmm. you know, just introduce me to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. And after they share whatever they're comfortable with, then we will proceed to tell them who we are as an organization, the population that we serve and how we do it. Mm-hmm. And then we ask them, you know, would this apply to you and your circumstances? And they, through that, they have to identify as a victim of trafficking. Okay. Because that is our very, 
narrow door for entry. We only serve victims of sex trafficking. Okay. Um, if they're labor trafficking, we'll connect them to someone. If they're domestic violence, we'll connect them to someone. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to be a very fitly shot arrow at the target okay. demographic that we feel called to. And once we do that, then we have a an intake packet that we go through with them. And that's where it's easier for them to answer questions because it's a direct question about something that's not them pouring out their personal mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Having a process. And, <clears throat> And one of those things, once they assign that they want to engage with rescuing hope, then we start creating an individualized action plan. Every Mm -hmm. single victim that we serve has one and they decide what their goal is. What is is the one thing they want to strive for? Now, some of them come in and say, I need a job or I have Mm -hmm. health issues. Another one says, you know what? I just, I need motivation to get up and take a shower. Mm. So that may be a goal. Yeah. And we may do that for a couple of weeks until we get that in routine or, mm-hmm. you know, I need to talk to my family. I don't have a relationship with my family. And so mm-hmm. we'll work on trying to bridge that gap. We really allow the, uh, the individual that we serve to dictate what we're working on because for so long they've been told what to do, what to say, and all of their choice and their voice has been silenced. So we want to empower them to have that back. And sometimes they choose things and we're sitting there going, "Mm, this is not really your biggest need, but we're going to go there. And then when it crashes and burns, we're not sitting there going, see, I told you, we'll just look at them and we'll say, so how's this working? Yeah. And you know, what have you learned from it? What do you think you would do next time? Mm-hmm. Do you still want this to be your goal? Or do you think we need to backpedal a few steps and set mm-hmm. some smaller goals? Because mm-hmm. if we just tell them what to do, we become their next trafficker. Right. Yeah. And, and, and controller. And we don't want that. And we need to teach and model decision-making processes. Mm-hmm. And that there's not just one choice or one decision there's several, so they have to learn how to rank them. Like, what is the best choice for me? And, and in this moment, yeah. And so we do that. And I did that with all of the young ladies when we started and have since hired a full-time caseworker. Okay. And then our caseload has exploded. So we've just hired a second caseworker. Okay. Um, so they back each other up now. And so I've kind of slid out of that role. If they need to bounce ideas or need some direction, Mm -hmm. they'll pull me in. I don't mind doing that. And the young ladies that I onboarded into the, uh, into our organization, I still am connected with them. I still have Uh conversation, but I've told them, if you need resources, you have to go to our caseworker. If you just need to talk, if you want to process something, I'm always here. Yes. Okay. Wonderful. So how do people find out about you? Is it through your connections with um, law enforcement and first responders or do you have? Honestly, it's a lot of different ways. Different ways, Um, okay. Yes, we've had, um, and I assume you're talking about how to, how do victims find out? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. so they may be referred by law enforcement. They may be referred by another organization. For instance, oh, okay. if frontline response does a rescue and they get to the safe house and they say, mm, I'm just not feeling residential. I'm not going to do it. Yes. And so they leave and they'll tell them, here's an organization that you can call. We okay. partner with Table on Delk. They do yes. hotel outreach. 
And if Tina comes across someone who needs resources that are beyond what they can provide or they need mm-hmm. more more direct coaching following, mm-hmm. she'll send them to us. Um, okay. The, we get them from the emergency department because we've done so much training there. Okay. Um, we've had therapists send them to us. The uh, highest compliment of all is when someone that we have served reaches back into the life and tells another girl, you can get out. These people will help will you. Help you. Wow. Definitely. And honestly, that's the vast majority of those that we serve come to us that way. But we've, we've even had a young lady who got a hold of uh, the book, Rescuing Hope. Mm-hmm. She read it. She went online to find out where we were speaking. And mm-hmm. she showed up at a high school I was speaking at. And mm-hmm. we had a table and I had a line afterwards asking questions and I noticed she kept going to the back of the line. Mm-hmm. I thought, okay, she's shy. Yeah. Um, and as I was packing up and we were the last table in there packing up to leave, she walked up to me and she said, thank you for writing this book. Um, and I said, you're welcome. I hope it taught you a lot about the issue. And she said, oh, I know a lot about the issue. She said, I'm a survivor and oh, you're okay. the first person I've told. Uh huh. Wow. And so I was like, okay, can I take you to lunch tomorrow? Cause it was like mm-hmm. almost 10 o'clock at night. Yes. I said, can I take you to lunch tomorrow? And we met at a restaurant up in Woodstock. Mm-hmm. Um, cause we were over in the East Cobb area mm-hmm. and we talked and right then and there, she just, you know, sometimes they hold back and sometimes they just word vomit the whole story. Yeah. And, and she did. And, um, we started serving her immediately. Oh, so. wow. Wow. And we've had people in jail reach out to us because Marietta Daily Journal has done a couple stories. We've been on uh, WSB. Mm -hmm. And so if any of the women who are incarcerated see that, um, they'll write to us. We've gotten jail mail quite a bit and we've really forged a great relationship with the sheriff and the deputies. And um, they let us come to the jail. We have partnered. We actually have a closet at the jail full of clothing. So when girls leave, if they need things, they'll let them go in there and get things. So we really have tried to cultivate those relationships. So any avenue that someone comes to us, we have open doors and we're ready to serve. Okay. So Susan, when you talk about educating emergency personnel, first responders, law enforcement educators, I'm going to assume that that is, um, here's some warning signs. Here's um, predictive behaviors and, and things like that. Am I thinking about that correctly? You are. Um, we really followed the data on mm-hmm. figuring out who to identify as first responders. And in the okay. state of Georgia, the last statistic that we've been given was that 90% of all domestic minor sex trafficking victims were attending school while they were being groomed or recruited or lured. Okay. So what we know is teachers and people in the school building are seeing signs of that with their students, whether they know it or not. Right. And so we go in and talk to them about how things might manifest. And sometimes it's similar to drug use or Mm -hmm. domestic violence. But when there are multiples, we call it stacking, then you likely have a victim. And so we recommend a protocol of course, they have to follow their system guidelines as mandatory mm-hmm. reporters, but we talk mm-hmm. about all the different resources. And then we create um, a pocket card. This is the one for law enforcement that mm-hmm. folds in half, 
and they can have always available to them in case they forget some of what we told them. Oh, okay. So they can quickly refer to it. Um, with medical personnel, there was a study that came out around 2014 that said over 88% of victims were seen in an emergency room, a women's center, or um, an urgent care. Mm-hmm. So we know they're seeing signs and we've brought in training for them on what to look for. We've also learned that um, particularly in hospitals that have a um, mental health ward where they'll do a 72-hour psychiatric hold, mm-hmm. um, they understand a lot of the psychosis and things of mental health issues, but they're not as well-versed on trauma uh-huh. and how trauma triggers happen and I've gone round and round with many ER doctors and nurses and intake, and um, I'm sure that they have like a do not allow to enter (laughs) sign with my picture on it. But um, we've had to really go in and advocate for those that we serve in ERs, but also in mental health hospitals. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons we don't just look at how to pick a victim out and assist in mental health situations with um, people in urgent cares and ERs and all. But we also talk about trauma-informed care that someone who's been out of the life 10 or 15 years may be a victim. They may come to an ER for same reason you or I would come because they've lived life to 15 years without any issue. Yeah. But the way you respond to them could trigger something and you could have a whole mess on your hands. And I've witnessed it. So we also talk about very victim-centered, trauma-informed approach across the board for healthcare. Mm -hmm. And and we've partnered with Wellstar. They've credentialed our training. They've actually even taken some of our um, indicators and put it in their basic intake for all patients. Okay. Um, And so that's been huge. They have rescued so many victims in the ERs all around Atlanta um, with Wellstar. Wow. as, I mean, young ones, adults uh, across mm-hmm. the board. Mm-hmm. And then um, we are post-certified for law enforcement. That means the law enforcement gets their CEU credits if they yeah. sit through our training. Mm-hmm. And the state of Georgia, I believe, requires that each officer has 20 um, different departments. Some say that have to be 40 or whatever. But in that 20, we qualify as two CEUs for them in a two-hour okay. training And we don't address them from like statute and code and they know all that. And um, a lot of that, we're not even privy to things that they're exposed to as law enforcement, as it should be. Mm -hmm. But we bring a victim-centered approach from a victim perspective. We've sat with those that we serve and asked them, talk to us about law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Help us explain why you don't talk to them. What is it about them? What do they say? What do they do? What? What shuts you down? And so we we bring that in, but we also do kind of an overview of trafficking because law enforcement officers have so many things that they have to study. Sometimes they really don't even necessarily know what trafficking is if they haven't had any training. Sure. And there's been a big push, thanks to the governor and the first lady of Georgia, for law enforcement to have that in Georgia. But still, we'll come across um, law enforcement officers who you show them a picture and say, what do you see? And they'll be like, that's a hoe, a street walker, a prostitute. And, mm-hmm. and it's a victim. Yeah. And we have to explain what a victim is and how to identify a victim and things that you can do. But also how to get someone who's going to be cooperative with you. Because, I mean, law enforcement's not the enemy. They're trying to put the bad guys away. And we right. want them to right. do that. Right. But they need... 
compliance with the victims to share information. And they're not really good reporters of what happens because when you enter into trauma, your thinking brain shuts down Mm -hmm. and your feeling brain, kind of your sensory brain is what, what goes on high alert. Mm -hmm. So we, and you know, not every law enforcement officer sits around and studies brain science. So we're able to sit with them and explain, don't ask them what happened to you because they may not, they may literally have that part of their brain shut down and not be able to tell, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but ask them, did you hear a sound? Was there certain sounds you heard when this is going on? Did you Mm -hmm. smell anything? Mm -hmm. You know, they, they may be able to detect from what they've told, oh, they're near the train and I smelled a lot of coffee and, and I heard a lot of talking. Okay. Well, maybe they figure out they're somewhere around the Marietta square because yeah. that's where the train is. That's where cool beans coffee is. And right. that's where a lot of people hang out. So we help them look at things differently. differently. And we always say it's, you know, you're looking, you're doing your job. We're just giving you a different lens to see things beneath the surface that maybe you wouldn't think to ask about. It's so important. And thank you so much for talking about trauma-informed and trauma-responsive approaches. You know, we do a lot of training around that and helping people understand that, you know, we can't ask people what's wrong with you. We have to get into what's going on behind um, or underneath, you know, six layers down. And it might be that if you ask someone to describe um, what they're smelling or pulling into another sense that, that's your entryway yes. to opening up that conversation. I love that. Thank you, Susan. Or instead of what's wrong with you, assuming you're broken. Yes, um, exactly. Can, can you tell me what happened? Yes. Um, Changing. You know, just reframing, reframing your yes. questions Question. instead of, um, you know, looking at someone and saying, you're always whatever, just, you know, what happened in this situation that, that created this problem for you mm-hmm. is a totally different scenario. Uh, you get the same answer that you need, yes. but it doesn't blame the victim. And, and, you know, our culture is really quick about shaming and blaming people who have become a victim of something. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, certainly trafficking victims feel that all the time. Uh, one question we almost always get from the public is, why don't they just leave? Mm. And they don't understand Stockholm syndrome. They don't understand mm-hmm. trauma bonds. And mm-hmm. actually most people, because they've seen the movie taken or something, they think you're tethered to a bed if you're a victim, yeah. but mm-hmm. law enforcement tells us only between three and 5% of victims are actually taken through force and held to bondage like mm-hmm. that, that most of it, it's through coercion and fraud. And so these traffickers, they're not some stupid street thug that doesn't know what they're doing. They're very savvy. They understand technology. They understand a grooming process. They know how to break someone down mm-hmm. and, and they are so quick to do it. They will um, rape a girl and then they'll take her out and get her nails done. Mm-hmm. And then they'll have her do something and she'll mess up and they'll beat her within an inch of her life and then pull her in her lap and kiss on her and say, why mm-hmm. do you make me do that to you? Mm-hmm. And they're, they're shifting blame. They're the pros of gaslighting. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, these victims are sitting there going, wait, did I, did I do that? Right. And, and they're not having to follow them around because maybe they follow them one time and they'll call them if they have a cell phone and say, why are you not there? I see you standing at the, 
you know, at the quick trip, why, why are you not where I told you to go? Yeah. So that one time then in that brain of that victim, who's been constantly tormented and they think he's always got eyes watching me. Yes. And, and, and they'll even tell him, you know, there's that you're always being watched. You're never not being watched. Mm-hmm. And so they may only see him one or two times that they're actually watching, but they'll tell them those things about those times. And then in the victim his brain it's he always sees me he always knows what I'm doing I have to be careful yeah so well Susan I mean this is something that so many people from different sectors um, faith communities neighborhood associations PTAs um, all of that are so uh, I, I think a lot of people are aware thanks to efforts you know, the hard work that you've done over the years, but if people wanted to learn more, if they wanted to volunteer, if they wanted to support you, how best to go about that? Well, our website has a lot of information on it and it's rescuinghope.com. So they can uh, fill that out to get our email um, newsletter that comes out. They can uh, fill out a form to volunteer. There's a button they can click to donate Um, online that way. They can also donate through Venmo um, or mail a check to the address that's on the website. Um, If they want to volunteer or schedule a training or a speaking event, uh, Jennifer uh, Denany handles all of that. So it's just Jennifer at rescuinghope.com and let her know that you have a PTA or a church event or, or maybe you have a company that you want to set a precedent that your company has zero tolerance of this. Mm-hmm. And so we can come in. We have lots of different trainings outside of the first responder trainings. Okay. Um, we train hotels. We work with businesses. We just launched, and this came about from data and from things that survivors were saying. We just launched in my chair which is a training for hairstylists and nail technicians, because we know that traffickers will take their victims and pay to get their hair done and pay to Mm -hmm. get their nails done. So we just had our first training with, uh, with a group. We have another one coming up in April and um, that's a group of, of professionals that is hugely excited about that because of the, um, the lawsuits brought against several hotels for the aiding and abetting of trafficking in the state of Georgia. We've had some hotels reach out. We've actually built a partnership with the Omni Hotel at the Battery, and they have us doing quarterly training with their entire staff. Wow. Because anyone can, they, they could still be trafficked in that hotel, but they if they were to come after that hotel and say, you know, this happened and you didn't do anything about it, they will be able to say, we train our entire staff on a quarterly basis. We mm-hmm. post the emergency hotline numbers in our restrooms. We So because they'll be able to show steps that they've taken to try and prevent, yes. then, then that will be their defense and mm-hmm. that will protect them. So, so because there are a lot of hotels that these young ladies are trafficked in and somebody working at the front desk will call the room and say, hey, the police are in and notify the traffickers so they can get out. There are ways that they take care of things around the building to make it harder to be detected. 
And we've learned all this, not from some study, but from just talking with the young ladies that we serve. Wow. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've had to sit in on court depositions with these attorneys for those that are suing hotels. And, um, you know, they're trying to protect the wallet of um, the establishment that they represent. I'm trying to get restitution and trying to get some type of assistance so they can get the therapy that they need that sometimes takes decades to recover. Sure. For from. Yeah. People don't understand the level of trauma. You know, I think we're all, if we hear about someone being raped, we're all horrified by, by that because it is, it's an atrocity and it mm-hmm. should never happen. But think about being raped 10 to 30 times a night, every single day without a vacation. They don't take holidays off. They don't take vacations um, one trafficker I interviewed said, we may doze, but we never close. If we get a call, we take them all. A wow. young lady told me that she felt like her trafficker's ATM. If he needed money, she'd sent, be sent out to go and mm-hmm. service a client. Mm-hmm. And it didn't matter if she was sick. It didn't matter if she had a sexually transmitted disease. It didn't matter if she was pregnant. Yeah. Um, she had to just go. She had no say in it. Wow. Wow. Ugh. Um, heavy stuff. Wow. <laughs> um, Susan, well, first of all, thank you so much. As our time together draws to a close, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you definitely wanted to share? Sure. Um, so we're we're dreaming for the next big thing to help these young ladies that we serve. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that they have shared with us is it's hard to find a space to kind of unpack things and talk through things with friends. You're not going to go sit in a Starbucks if you're two survivors and converse with each other because everybody's going to overhear. You're going to feel dirty or you're going to feel like everyone's staring. Um, So we are dreaming and about to launch a capital campaign to um, get a building and renovate it for the survivor Haven for Hope Survivor Resource Center. And we will have a computer lab in there so they can work on their GED, their job readiness, um, build resumes, look for homes, look Mm -hmm. for jobs, build a a LinkedIn profile, Mm -hmm. um, all of that. And then we will have a therapeutic art room because we know that a lot of times things can be unlocked through art when they can't even be articulated yet in words. Mm -hmm. And we have artists who are ready to come in and work with those that we serve in this. But we also want a space where if they come in on a Tuesday because they just need a break, they can go in there and create on their own. They don't Mm -hmm. have to have a class. Yeah. Um, And they'll have a a wall, a a gallery wall, where they can display what they're doing and what they're getting out and talk through it. They'll have, um, I called it the quiet room when I first drew out the plans, but the survivors came in and looked and took pens and got to change everything. I said, this is your space, Mm -hmm. not mine. So tell us what you want. They call it the sensory and silence room because um, it would have sofa and chairs and lighting on a dimmer and tactile different things, whether it's tassels on, on blankets or on text textured wallpaper Mm -hmm. in there so that they can go in if they're triggered and they can do some grounding techniques or they can meet with a counselor, a case worker in there, or sometimes we'll have a, a survivor call us and say, Hey, are you in the office? 
And if we are, they'll come just to sleep on our sofa because they feel so triggered. They can't sleep at home. Yes. But they'll sleep the whole time we're at work. And then we wake them. The last person to leave wakes them. And then Mm -hmm. they go about their day. Okay. So we want that to be a place they can do that. We want to have a teaching kitchen. You know, one of the things these young ladies share is, you know, I didn't have mom and dad teaching me these things because I was Mm -hmm. in the life. Yes. So we need to teach them how to do a basic meal plan, um, how to cook and do some basic cooking, but then how to cook on a budget. A lot of them have children, how to have a birthday party that's not going to break the bank. And we have Mm -hmm. chefs and nutritionists who've said, when you get your facility, we will come teach. Ah, Yes. We want a living room space. We do a video driven curriculum that was written by a survivor called Ending the Game. And it takes them from a victim mindset to a thriver mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, But the girls have said, can we also have board games in there? And we want to have Bible studies in there. We said, we'll put all that, but that's for y'all to use. We're not going to orchestrate, but it gives them a chance to come in and try and lead in something, Mm -hmm. which teaches them basic leadership skills. And then we'll have a classroom. Um, where we can bring community leaders in who can teach some things that maybe they missed along the way. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of them hope one day to own their own home. So we need to talk with them about uh, financial stewardship and how to protect your funds and how to build a savings account and start yeah. paying yourself. So you have a down payment. We need real estate people to come and talk with them about these are things you need to look for when you're looking for a home. Mm-hmm. And, and we've built great relationships with people in the community who have said, get your classroom, I'll come teach. So, yeah. oh, wow. A very small portion of that space will be our offices, but um, the vast majority of that building will be theirs. So, we're super excited. We've been working with um, several different real estate organizations that already support us, trying mm-hmm. to figure out how much money we need to raise. We have some seed money that came from previous galas and some donations mm-hmm. um, that we've been holding on to, to be kind of the beginnings. Um, and we're really hoping that area businesses will see the value of this because this will allow us to raise up those that have been victimized to be strong, vigilant supportive contributors to our society and great people for them to employ who are fiercely loyal. If you are, if you are for a survivor, they are loyal to the death for you. Mm -hmm. And so if we have companies that see this and so into that, um, then, you know, we're going to see a huge change. I have to give a shout out to, um, two companies who have been hugely supportive to us that are right here in the area. One is CareSource, mm-hmm. um, which is a health company. And then the other is Breastfield and Gory. They have been phenomenal sponsors and financial supporters of what we do and their construction company and said they would come alongside us when we get a building okay. and help us get it renovated. Right. So we just, Cobb County is a great place to be in business and in nonprofit because there are great companies willing to help. So thank you for letting us highlight that and give shout out to those who have been just phenomenal supporters of ours. So we're looking forward to new connections and growth and hoping to have a ribbon cutting in our near future. Oh, that's so exciting. We can't wait to watch all that happen. And we'll drop those names in the show notes for sure, Susan. Um, so those organizations and really all that you do can receive the 
um, not only the accolades, because I know that's not only what you're looking for, but to continue to raise awareness and make connections and educate our community about, sadly, this reality that so many um, young um, girls, we talked mo mostly about girls, but we know that there are male victims as well. So. Yes, there are definitely male victims. We do not have a male caseworker on staff. That's mm -hmm. a long-term goal. Um, we have assisted um, a couple of males in connecting them to the resources. They reached out to us. Uh -huh. So we don't really in-house have anything, but we will dig, dig and find and help them. And we actually got a letter back from um, one young man that we helped not long ago. And mm -hmm. he, when he came to us, he was broken and he was suicidal and he was ready to just let it all go. Wow. And he wrote to us and he said, I'm thriving and oh, I wouldn't be where I was today if it weren't for you and the other organizations that did step up to help me. Yeah. So we do need more programs that serve male victims. Mm -hmm. um, but we're getting there. We're yes. we're actually starting the conversation about that males can be victims where before yes. people didn't even acknowledge Think that. that. Right. So, so that's yeah. a that's a good day's work, Susan, when you can read something like that and know that you literally changed the trajectory of that young man's life. Um, and, and not just him, but all the other um, young people and and adult women who you have helped. So thank you so much for what you, you do day in and day out um, for for everyone in our community, not just the victims, um, but your staff, your family, and the broader Cobb County community. And thank you for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me and for shining a light on what we're doing. Irene, we love everything that you guys do as well. And listeners, thank you for tuning in today. And to be sure that you don't miss any future episodes, please subscribe to our Mind Your Mind podcast. Also, please leave us a review on Apple. We look forward to having you tune in next time as we continue to empower and engage our community through conversations about critical issues that Cobb County is dealing with. Until next time, please stay well. And remember, there is no health without mental health. <laughs>